Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of business, and lessons learned. Boy, can override the worries and depression. Here are your Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody. It is Friday. It is 1 p.m. Uh, welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast right here on the Startup Radio Network. I am your host, Josh Carter. Uh, Carmen is out this week, so we wish her well and hope uh, we see her next week. Uh, if you are new to the show, welcome. Welcome to the program. Uh, we are excited you're spending the next 15 minutes with us. Uh, if, you, if you've if you not been here before, it's really a very casual conversation we have with these founders that happen to be military veterans or military spouses. Last week, we had a great, we had Daniela Young from Culture. Or Forte, she's both. She was a veteran and a military spouse, so that was kind of a, a twofer we got, which was a great show. Uh, this week, we have a fellow Navy veteran, Gerald Pigott from PSC Marketing Group. Welcome, sir. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, and I'm always excited when we get a fellow when I get a fellow Navy guy in here. So, or war woman, as the case may be. But uh, uh, welcome to the program. I'm really excited to hear more about PSC Marketing Group, but. You have a really fascinating background, and I want to hear a little bit more about that, and I'm sure my listeners do as well. So tell me a little bit about where you're from and what compelled you to join the military. Well, I grew up in Helena, Montana, and uh, I decided one day after high school that I wanted to see the world, and I figured the best way to do that and to kind of avoid Vietnam at the same time was to go into the Navy. Yeah. And unfortunately... I wound up in Vietnam anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you got there one way or another, huh? I sure did. <clears throat> so tell me a little bit about your time. You mentioned you were, uh, you and I were talking earlier, you mentioned you were a CB. Yes, I went in the Navy as a CB because in high school I was involved in uh, all the trades and I loved it. I loved to weld. I loved to build. Anything that could be a creative outlet for me, I love it. And for the uninitiated, CB is Construction Battalion. That is Even correct. Even though their, lo- their logo is an actual B. That is correct. In <laughs> fact, we did some shirts for the VA. Did you? On nice. the 70th, 5th anniversary of the CBs. Yeah. Because we can build with one hand while fighting with the other. Yeah, no doubt. So. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your time in, in Vietnam. Well, as a CB, I... Um, went to Vietnam after a school because the boats, the PT boats, which are made of plywood, were getting shot up pretty bad. So they need somebody that could repair them. So we went there, a handful of us went into the Delta to repair these boats. And then, you know, they were shorthanded. So we went on some MIA and POW missions, which um, was kind of cool. But kind of harrowing at sure. the same time. So you were actually like in the boats with these with these guys going out to uh, try to rescue these MIA POW folks. Yeah, we That's... would be going into some of these um, POW camps. Yeah, most of them were abandoned, but sure. our people were still there. Yeah, whether they were uh, you know strapped to a pit or you know I don't want to get too graphic no, no, about it's... it. Yeah, but uh, it was quite the experience. Wow. And and you didn't really have training for that. You just sort of, they were short in people and you said, you have the right uniform on, get in that boat. 
pretty much. And you know what they say in the Navy, don't volunteer because it'll happen for yeah. you anyway. Well, that's what it stands for. Never again volunteer yourself. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so you're in, in Vietnam uh, and you got uh, moved over to HT. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh, because the HT is basically, it stands for Hull Technician, yep. for those who don't know. Uh, is basically a CB that goes to C because mm-hmm. an HT is the same thing as a CB because except they do damage control and firefighting, but they also do carpentry, plumbing, and, you know, all the things that a ship needs. I was sort of an HT. I was a deck seaman. So we so, just chased rust all day long with a needle gun. So yeah. so we were a whole I was a whole technician. I was I was over yeah, the side. You were technicing the I was, hole. That's right. You? I was painting <laughs> over the side the whole of the ship. Yeah. The entirety of the ship. <laughs> <laughs> Always fun. Yeah. Chasing chasing rust and uh haze gray. Uh that's awesome. so how long were you in? I was in from uh late seventy three until the end of seventy nine. Okay. Okay. And and was uh obviously Vietnam wasn't your only duty station. Where where else did you go? Well, after Nam they uh sent me to Pearl Harbor. Okay. And uh, there could be worse places to be stuck. Oh yeah, there can be. And I was <laughs> looking forward to it and going to see Wacky Key and yeah. you know, doing the whole tourist thing. But on the day I reported aboard ship, we left port the next morning and I was gone <laughs> for the next three years. Oh man. That sounds like you might have been on my ship because I was on an FFG, which I found out later was forever freaking gone. Yeah. And uh, we did 30 countries in, in three years. So you might have been on the same boat I was on or similar boat. It's probably similar because <laughs> uh, we were duty oilers, so we hit the whole western Pacific rim. Yeah. What was some of the best ports you hit? My favorite port was, you know, everybody says Sydney, Australia, sure. but I loved Auckland, New Zealand, because yeah. I'm an avid fly fisherman, and that was like heaven. Yeah. And then the other thing was Perth, Australia. We okay. pulled into Perth, and they had a thing there in Perth. I'm going to have to share this because it's kind of yeah. funny. They had a thing on ship called Dial-A-Sailor, because at that time, the ratio of females to males in Australia was nine to one. So all these... <laughs> Women would line up on the pier at a phone booth that was hooked up to the ship, and all the guys would run to the quarter deck and pick up a phone, and they'd see a girl waving down there, and that was, and she would take them out to dinner, and you know, yeah, oh, the seventies, oh yeah, and uh, <laughs> I actually met the girl that got away. You know, oh. I should have married that one, but yeah. She took me out in the outback for three weeks and taught me how to pan gold, and wow. we chased kangaroos, and we just had a ball. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, during my time, I can point to a few duty stations or ports that were just amazing, like um, went to Funchal, uh, Portugal, Madeira, Portugal, and I actually have family there that my family hadn't met before, but then, you know, we went and hit some of the worst ones, like Pakistan. What are, what are some of the worst ones that you, you'd gone to? I can't remember the name of the island, but it was a refueling stop for us to take on fuel, and the island was so small that everybody stationed on the island came aboard ship for Liberty Call. You huh. could stand on the bow and see one end of the island to the other, and there was nothing. Wow. And that was a refueling port. That was a refueling port for Was there us. more gas was, and land then? Pretty much. It was just one big <laughs> tank farm. You couldn't even find a good bar to go to. I would imagine. That's... 
pretty nuts. Yeah, there's a lot of those type of places. Like we stopped in uh, Azores, Portugal for refueling, uh, Djibouti, Africa for for refueling. So yeah, there's a lot of those. Uh, that's amazing. So so you get out. What's the uh, what's the first thing you do when you get out? Well, you know, you get bored because <clears throat> yeah. it's just steel gray and ocean blue <laughs> until you cross the equator, and then that's when... Wait, you're a shellback? I am a shellback. I'm still a polywog. Well, you don't even have the guts to be in the room with me. I know. That's the thing, man. That's... But, you don't uh, understand. Alon's looking at us like we're crazy, but there's a big difference between polywog and, sh- and shellbacks, man. Yeah, basically, for those that are listening, a polywog is kind of like a worm newbie. <laughs> Never cross the equator. Never cross the equator. You Whereas, know, we had a chance. We were really close, and our uh, uh, we were going to chase a, dr- a drug boat or something, but we had to go through the Panama Canal, so our uh, CO decided to let somebody else on the other side to go chase it, and we're like, son of a bitch. Because yeah. it's one of those things where if you're if you're a shellback and somebody else is a polywog, even if they're higher ranked than you, that goes away. I mean, there's this whole ser- I don't want to call it hazing because that's in that's politically incorrect today. But I mean, there's a ceremony, right? And I'm putting it in air quotes of how you get initiated into this group of of shellbacks. So you need some real intestinal fortitude <laughs> to get through that. To, yeah, you know, yeah. put it bluntly because yeah. it is a. It, her, hazing in the 70s would be an appropriate word for it. <laughs> and then you get, uh, if you're a real troublesome wog, yeah. you get S's put on your back, which means that when you go before King Neptune, you're a special case. <laughs> and the more S's you have on your back, the worse it gets. Oh, my God. See, that's this is... I, and I tell people, people don't believe me, but 80% of the stuff we do in the Navy is tradition. It is. It's it is. all about tradition. It really is, and and some of it's amazing. You know, like uh, like you know the initiation uh, when you become a shellback, um, or in my case, I was air warfare, so I got initiated uh, by um, you know by fire, trial by fire there. But um, yeah, it's just so interesting the different clubs that you get initiated into and how they're how the initiation happens. So that's interesting. Um, so so you, sorry, you were saying uh, you before we talked about this shellback thing. Uh, you were talking about getting out. Yeah, I was talking about getting out, and um, then I suddenly had a change of heart and started saying, hey, you know, this is pretty cool. So yeah. I'm going to make this a career. Oh, wow. So you, you tried to stay in. I tried to stay in, and we were on um, refueling operations in the Indian Ocean once, and... Uh, as being a fellow Navy guy, you're familiar with tag-out procedures. Yep. Well, if anybody's ever been aboard ship, you can't go in the engine room to turn on a valve because it's too hot in there. It's 140 degrees on average. So all the valves are in the passageway. And I had tagged one out because I was going to weld on it, and it turned out to be the fuel line for the number four boiler. Oops. Oops. Yeah, big oops, because somebody came along, and you know how you fidget with things when you're talking to your bud? Well, some boot, straight out of boot camp, uh, non-rate, started playing with the valve and turned it on, and all that fuel came down and hit that white-hot metal Come on. and blew up. No. I had a piece of metal go through my hip, uh, ruptured my back at the L4. Oh, my God. And destroyed the vertebrae at L5 and L6. Um, I don't remember getting out of the fire, but I remember waking up on deck just before 
they loaded me to uh, some aircraft and flew me to um, Tripler Army in Pearl, where I underwent 16 hours of constructive surgery. Jesus. And then I spent um, a year and a half in a body cast after that. And then I got feeling back in my legs, and I went through six months of therapy to learn how to walk again. And that was the end of my naval career. Good God. See, that's, this is why tag-out procedures are there for a reason, people. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, They're man. there for a reason. Yeah, so when you got out, <clears throat> how, how did you transition back into the workforce? Well, when I got out, I was kind of uh, bewildered like a lot sure. of veterans are, and I went back to Helena. And, of course, during that time, Helena had changed a lot. So, And it was a time when the economy had downturned a little bit. We were, you know, just coming out of the long gas lines and mm-hmm. everything else in that whole recession. So finding a job was not easy, but because of my military experience, I got a job with a company, I don't even think they exist anymore, called Household Finance, hmm. which was like beneficial finance. They were a finance company. And I became a branch manager, and then the next thing you know, I'm in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> just just sort of ended up there yeah, uh, in Alaska. You, we need you up there to run an office. And then they shut down, and I was stuck in Alaska after that. Ugh. But I loved it. Yeah. No, Alaska is beautiful, and uh, I want to do a fishing trip. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Is that cool, Gerald? That's cool. All right. We'll be right back. CPA dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers quick. decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Today's episode of the Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. For instance, media relations. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. And we're back. We've been talking to Gerald Pigott of PSC Marketing Group, uh, and you were you ended your last segment. You're in Alaska. Yeah, I'm in Alaska. No, no job. No job. Cost of living. A gallon of milk is like five dollars a gallon. So I'm going. <sighs> what am I going to do now? Yeah. So what did you do? I saw an ad in the newspaper for uh, a company called AVAC that was looking for a person to coordinate all the fuel tank installations to electrify rural Alaska. And I said, hey, I was a CB. I can do this, right? So I went and applied, and they gave me the application and sent me off into a room. And I'm sitting there by myself filling out the earthquake, and all of a sudden I felt a bump on the building like the forklift had run into my corner of the building. Sure. And when I came back and I handed my application in, they said, you've been in this building the whole time? I said, yeah. (laughs) We just had an earthquake. I said, oh, really? I didn't know it. It's kind of fun. Can we do it again? You know, just kidding. We don't have these in Montana. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have these. And then the next thing I know, I got the job because of that event. (laughs) And I did that for the next five years. And I traveled to all 56 of the native villages in Alaska. Wow. 
And so those things, those experiences have taught me a lot of things. Yeah. Like what? What's the what's the one thing you learned uh, that has just been invaluable to you? One of the things I I would think that I've learned the most from my Navy career and my time in Alaska is being exposed to different cultures. Yep. So I learned how to communicate and understand those cultures, which now has served me very well. Yeah. Now people don't realize, uh, you know, we, you know, when you you haven't traveled, you kind of live in this bubble. Right. Right. And I, I run into this with family members all the time when we have debates. And but when you go overseas and you see other places, you could put it into context. And the one thing you learn at a very uh, young age when you've gone through that is something called empathy. Uh, and it's a tremendously valuable thing to learn as a young person that you carry through after you've left the military. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very big thing. For example. Um, the mayor of Gamble and I have the same birthday. And he is a new peak, and of course, I'm Caucasian. Mm-hmm. So he says to me, let's, uh, let's go whale hunting. How many white guys get to go whale hunting? Whale hunting. So they put me on that big blanket and they tossed me up in the air a couple of times. Come on. And then I climbed into a seal skin boat and I'm looking at it going, can't you give me a Navy ship or something, you know? <laughs> and we went out walrus hunting and whale hunting. It was wow. a great time. That's amazing. So tell me a little bit about this uh, PSC Marketing Group. This wasn't your first foray in, into entrepreneurship, was it? No, this was. Well, actually, it really kind of was. Okay. Uh, back in the late 90s, I got tired of depending on somebody else for my livelihood. Sure. Because businesses come, businesses go, and I have a personal belief, which I shared with uh, you guys earlier, that if you're going to have a business, you should have philanthropy tied to it, and then they exist. So I started a company called PSC, which stood for, at that time, Promotional Sense Corp., and we were a promotional products company, you know, the custom imprinted pens and coffee mugs and all that. And in the first year, I took that company to a million dollars in sales annually. Wow. And uh, that attracted the attention of a company called APC who bought me out. Oh, okay. So then I turned around and started another company. <laughs> Which entrepreneurs typically do. Yes. And that company uh, was called That Burly Guy. That Burly Guy. <laughs> and we sold exotic burls to wood turners and pin makers and musical instrument makers around the world. We wow. carried 84 um, different species. And then uh, I sold that company because oh the, econ- <laughs> the economy was starting to tank. And yeah. It was hobby base of what is going to happen. Sales are going to go bottom. Yeah, yeah. And then I turned around and started Burley's Chuck Wagon, which was a barbecue company. Yeah. That was very successful. And then I got an offer oh, probably three years ago, and I sold that company. It's what entrepreneurs do. That's true. Oh, yeah. And then my wife says, well, are you going to retire? And I says, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the type to retire. Yeah. No, once, you, once you've done it a few times, it's, uh, you know, you want to keep doing it. Yeah. And that's about the time I got involved with homeless veterans, yeah. and uh, one of the things I learned in NOM and it served me well was leave nobody behind, and I saw my brothers and sisters 
you know, struggling to make ends meet, living in camps filled with mud and fecal matter like you can't. It was just a shitty place. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I said, I got to do something about this. And so I brought my PSC company back. But this time I brought it back with a focus on homeless veterans. We employ veterans. We help veterans get a leg up. We help them learn how to use the skills they learned in the military to move themselves forward. And tell me about, because you and I were talking earlier, you you mentioned a case in which, you know, because somebody asked, you know, what did, how do you define success, right? And you gave an example that was a really powerful example. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, success can be defined in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, if it's a social service agency, they may get somebody housed, and to them, that's success. Right. By my standards, that's not success. That's just the beginning of success. So for us, success is not only getting them out of the initial trenches, getting them into housing, but getting their skills developed so that they continue to move forward and then follow up with them afterwards to make sure they're still on that track. Mm-hmm. That is true success. Yeah, I agree. So this, this individual you were talking about, tell me a little bit about his story. Well, Donnie was um, a fellow veteran in Vietnam. Yeah. He was in Airborne. Okay. And when I found Donnie out in the brambles, he was living in the bush. He had type 1 diabetes, and it was severe. He had just had surgery at the VA where part of his foot was removed on one side, Mm -hmm. and toes were removed on another foot. Jeez. And he was living in the mud because his family didn't want to have anything to do with him. Jeez. So I said, this is unacceptable. So I pulled him out. I put him in my truck. I drove him up to uh, the VA, got his wounds all cleaned up because he had infections. And then I got him into a housing program. And then after I got him into that housing program, we started teaching him how to be have his own business that mm-hmm. he could do online. And since then, I just talked to Donnie the other day. He's serving on the board of directors for a nonprofit. So see that success is still yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he he's running a very uh, profitable online business. He's able to support himself and just do what he needs to do. That's phenomenal. I, I, th- thank you for doing that. First of all, because I don't think there's enough. <clears throat> you know, homeless veteran uh, population continues to rise as we get more veterans returning from Afghanistan and Iraq and other conflicts. And and having somebody, even if you impact one life, that is far and away better than the outcomes you typically see in, say, like just going through the VA, right? And so uh, so I love that story. It's That's so great. What other challenges um, are you seeing in the veteran population that that you're trying to uh, solve here? Well, currently right now, one of the status, saddest statistics that I'm aware of is there's over 5,000 homeless veterans in the state of Oregon hmm. that have no place to call to lay their head tonight except maybe on a park bench or a rusty old pillow out in nowhere land or something like sure. that. So um, we need to look at programs to get them off the street um, this is why it was important that we passed the lottery bill that we did mm-hmm. for one and a half percent to help homeless veterans, which my company was a big part of that, along with Paul Evans and a few others. And so that's just a drop in the bucket. But we really 
need to step up because these guys stepped up for us. Mm-hmm. And it's time for us to get back. And to have a statistic like that in Oregon is just, in my book, unacceptable. Yeah. So how? So tell me about your business model with P, PSC Marketing Group and how this whole thing sort of plays into that. Well, what PSC does is we hire uh, veterans, but not just veterans that are already successful looking sure. for a job. We want to hire the veterans that need a leg up. And we go through a very urgent uh, interview process to assess their skills, their attributes, so that we know where we need to start with them. Sure. You can call it intensive case management if you want to use that term. But once we identify their skills, then we help them use those skills to improve their life. And this may be starting their own business. This may be working for us till they get some support, and then we'll help put them in their own business. Or it may be a short-term thing like we were talking about in the studio, outside the studio earlier, where my recent veteran had a lot of graphic experience, and we redesigned uh, Bigfoot. And, uh, you know, we have a pretty cool Bigfoot image now, and... uh, all the 50% of the sales from that project will go to support homeless veterans. I love it. And Bigfoot's such a huge part of the culture here in the Pacific Northwest. I think it's a great I think it's a great fit. Yeah, it is. And <laughs> you know, we've had a lot of fun. Uh, it hasn't just been, you know, cookie cutter Bigfoot like you see on the internet sure. with a black image. He's actually been given a little bit of a human characteristic and then we've put him in playful situations, like playing poker with other mythicals and, you know, (laughs) six-keying on Mount Rainier or surfing the tsunami or, you know, reading fairy tales to the woodland creatures or bullying with Paul Bunyan. That's funny. You know, just to have a little fun because if you can't have fun... While you're doing what you're doing, yeah. then what's the point? What's the point? Exactly. I love it. So how long have you been doing uh, PSC marketing? When, when did you guys first start this? I start, I restarted PSC about three years ago. Okay. And how's it going so far? It's going great. Yeah. Going to uh, sell this one too? No, I think <laughs> I might just hang on to this yeah. one because I'm enjoying it too much. But, you know, as an entrepreneur, you never know. Yeah. Somebody will come along and say, I'll give you $6 million. And I say, okay. Yeah, write it. that check. It better be good because I'll come after you if it's not. But yeah. um, you know, it's just you never know. Yeah. But I do have a lot of fun uh, with PSC. We've helped thirty nine veterans. That's amazing. In the last three years, and thirty six of them are still a success today. And our social service agencies are not able to get those kind of success sure. rates yeah, percentages yeah. and. I think I have some reasons why that is the way it is, but unless you want to go into it, we're not going to go into it. (laughs) Well, I'm more interested in in what you think it is about your program that you're getting such great returns. I think the biggest thing with our program is we're able to give one-on-one attention. Yeah. And we're able to not coddle them. We are able to take them by the hand walk beside them as a mentor. We don't say, this is what you need. Let me help you with this. Mm -hmm. So it's not a handout. It's a leg up. Makes sense. And as a veteran yourself, you know what that means. Yeah. And uh, 
because we all have a certain sense of pride when it comes to that arena. So um, that's what PSC is about, taking these individuals one at a time, doing intensive case management with them, and say, hey, Donnie, what do you need? What can I help you with? What can I teach you? Yeah. You know, because we're all brothers and sisters because we've all been through the hell of war. Yeah. Or the hell of service. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I uh, thankfully served and threaded that needle between wartime, but, you know, still saw some pretty intense shit, right? Like, if you're going to wear that uniform, you're going to be prepared, even in peacetime, to see some pretty insane shit. Well, even when I was aboard ship, um, we never knew what was going to happen. Uh, you could go out on the fantail, <clears throat> yep. and there would be a Russian trawler following you. Yep. And you know that's a spy ship. So you don't know what's about to happen, if anything's happening. More times than not, they just followed you. Yeah. Yeah, I think the most intense was we pulled into Karachi, Pakistan, the day after they, some militants had killed 33 Americans, and we still pulled in for some, like, silly reception. Uh, but we had axes next to all the mooring lines. Everybody was pretty much given a gun. We had uh, um, sentries up on the 03, 04 levels. And it was just, it was really intense. And the, and and on top of that, as we were <laughs> pulling in, there was this, uh, I don't know what it was, but something was tracking us as we were pulling in. It was, I just remember it being very intense. So, Well, we had a situation where um, I happened to be up in OIC. Yeah. Because I had the security clearance, and I heard a message come in from uh, Sinpac Fleet, where they had ordered the third and seventh fleet to Seoul, Korea. Apparently, uh, three Marines were killed at the border between North Korea and South Korea over some tree, and North Korea was threatening to go to war. So the fleet went there, and can you imagine what it'd be like? You've been your former Navy. Can you imagine what it'd be like to be a resident of Seoul, Korea, and then wake up in the morning and there's four aircraft carriers with all their guns up on deck ready yeah. to launch? It was a pretty tense three days. I'm sure, yeah. That's that's pretty intense. So I want to dig in a little bit deeper about your military background. And what do you think um, prepared you uh, from your military career to being an entrepreneur? What do you think that, that, uh, that time in the military help, did to help you to be an entrepreneur? You remember that movie? Have you ever seen that John Wayne Moody movie, The Fighting Seabees? I have not seen that one. Um, in that movie, there is a character who is the ship's grounds. Okay. He can get anything. <laughs> yeah. On my ship, I was that guy. Got it. So being able to learn to see opportunities and recognize them and learning how to make them work for you is what made me an entrepreneur. That's awesome. Yeah, I, don't, I think our postal guy was that guy. <laughs> Most he of was, them are. <laughs> right. The most resourceful uh, central information, that or the uh, ship's barber. Both of those places were the central and sort of the central intelligence of a ship. And, and to be fair, our ship was pretty small. Uh, we had 250 people on, on our ship, so it was really small compared to a carrier, which has like 5,000 people. It so. was a small city. Yeah, yeah. We pulled into port one time, and my LPO, who had kind of a bone to chew with me, Yeah. I had my civvies on. I was ready to go on Liberty Call, and he grabbed me on the quarter deck, and he says, you're not going anywhere until those 400 battle helmets have been chipped and repainted battleship red. And he says, Kunhar, come on, man. 
Yeah. I can do it when we're at sea. He says, no. So I went down to the ship storekeeper, who was a personal friend of mine. I said, you got any coffee? And he says, yeah, how much you need? And I says, you give me 12 pounds. When we get back to Pearl, I'll take you out drinking for the whole night. <laughs> so I took the 12 pounds and went down on the pier, and I got a hold of the yard bird. And they swung those battle helmets over onto the deck. They had a guy walk along with a sandblaster, another guy with a gun primer, and another guy with the final paint. And then they swung them back up on the deck, and it probably took 45 minutes. That's so and funny. I said, here's the coffee. And so I went and got my civvies on and started up. And he says, you cannot possibly have gotten those all done. <laughs> and he says, look, they're up there. Go check it out. And I stood yeah. there and waited for him. Yeah. That's the kind of opportunities that taught me how to be an entrepreneur. It's funny. Uh, you know, we talked about this on the show before. You know, Bug Juice, uh, <laughs> you laugh because you know exactly what I'm, where I'm going with this. Somebody at some point said, you know, I bet you Bug Juice, the shit we've been drinking, uh, we could shine brass with that stuff. Like, I'm pretty sure it could take the oxidation off that brass bell. And, uh, and it's that kind of identifying the different things uh, that make military veterans really, really good entrepreneurs. So I love that. Um, you know, the other question I have, and then we'll get into, you know, sort of lessons learned, though, but I, what I want to hear is how did you know uh, who your customer, how did you define your customer in, in these businesses? Well, you know, that is a very interesting question because, to be honest with you, I didn't. Yeah. But I have cojones the size of church steeples at times. And I don't have a problem with walking into a business, and I'll walk around like a customer, and I want to see the lay of the land and what they have and what they're selling, and then I'm in my head pre-qualifying them. And if they pass my criteria, then I go find out who the business owner is, and then I make that initial contact. Sure. Because I look at it this way. The worst thing that can happen is he can throw me out on the street, and I'll That's just true. go do the same thing next door. <laughs> You know, so having that courage to do that is a big part of identifying customers. And I think, you know, the the thing that the other thing that makes military uh, folks uh, pretty resilient is the fact that, you know, we're yelled at constantly. And so if somebody says no, it's not a big deal. We just just kind of rolls off our back and we go on and kind of do our thing. Uh, Whereas some people aren't as resilient when it comes to hearing no constantly. Right. And you know, yeah, I've been asked about that a lot, and they say, "Well, how do, you, how does, how come you seem so unaffected by it?" Yeah. And my answer is, once you've been shot at, there's nothing <laughs> that tops that. There really isn't no, anything that tops you're, it. You're you're absolutely right, and uh, something we we also have in common, which is great. Um, so uh, we're going to take a another uh, quick break, and uh, we will be right back. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code StartupRuby. And we're back. We've been talking to Gerald Pygott of PSC Marketing Group. Uh, we have a little more than 10 minutes left. I want to spend that w- uh, time with you really de- diving deep about uh, mistakes you've made, lessons you've learned, 
some advice for aspiring entrepreneurs. But first, I ask this every week uh, to our guests. What is that one thing that you fucked up that you're like, I'm not going to fuck that up again to mitigate <laughs> the risk of failure? <laughs> Marriage. <laughs> no. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I – there have been several things that I've totally effed up. Sure. You know? But I think what's most important about that is recognizing that you screwed up. And as an entrepreneur, you're compelled to learn from that. Sure. So what do I do next? And to give you an example, I recently went to the Las Vegas gift show. Okay. Just a few months ago. I went there with all these grandiose ideas, and I'm thinking, you know, my products are great. I'm going to write all these orders. And I didn't even get one single customer to talk to. I didn't. I was talk about a minnow in a fish that was swallowed up by even a bigger fish. And that whole experience cost me $5,000, which I did not recapitalize. So I said, well, you know, you're not doing any selling. You might as well walk around the show and find out what the sellers are doing that are working. And so we made some adjustments, and uh, it ain't going to happen again. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so, how, but then, how do you identify, um, you know, potential opportunities for you to invest your time in? Then, if you're, if you know, you you went in sort of with this thesis that you were going to have this kind of outcome, and it didn't pan out that way. How, how do you mitigate that in the future? Well, in the future, um, one of the things is that I learned from that experience is for those customers I already have that are going to that show, you know, some email marketing to them to let them know mm-hmm. that we're going to be there. I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. I'm, that was bad on me. And, uh, you know, maybe some other advertising in the area saying we were going to be there. Another bad on me. Mm-hmm. Um You know, the thing, though, is as an entrepreneur, you're always compelled to look for opportunities and then figure out how you can fit those into your portfolio. Yeah. And, you know, making mistakes is part of that. Mm -hmm. It's got to be. Yeah. It's got to be because nobody in business is perfect. And I've talked to a lot of veterans who have said, I'm scared to start a business. I understand that. It's scary. But if you don't do it or you don't try, you'll always be sitting there going, what if? Yeah. And that's worse yeah. than the fear. What do you think is the most important uh, thing for an entrepreneur to do as they're growing their business? Um, one of the most well, – networking. Yeah. Big time. Got to network. Go to groups. You know, get out there. Do things in the community. You know, there's – for example, you know, down in Salem – Last summer, we had that big water issue mm-hmm. because of the algae bloom. So um, the chamber called me and they said, are you interested in giving free water to Salem residents? I said, sure. So we had people filling up out of our tap at home. And, you know, we gave away, I think in one day, almost 500 gallons. Whoa. Before I knew it, yeah. that before that day was over. Yeah. We were on all four of the networks. We were in three major newspapers, and we got this incredible plug 
just for an act of kindness. Yeah. Well, it goes back to your earlier point, right? Now, if there's no, if you if you don't have a, a cause for good in your business plan, then maybe it's time to rethink your business plan. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, so when when you're building these businesses, you've had such great success. Talk about uh, when it didn't go right. You know, you've had businesses where you've sold uh, three businesses. You've sold. Talk about when it didn't go right. Well, I did have uh, one instance with my barbecue company where I was training my son how to do this because for a young man, it was a great communication skill, Mm -hmm. plus a great builder of um, confidence. Well, when the health inspector came by, he made the mistake of saying, well, we prepare everything at home. Oops. Oops. Because now I'm looking at a $50,000 fine. Oops. So, um, fortunately, it had a silver lining. Um, he motioned to me, and I come over there, and the inspector knew me and said, this is your son. I says, yeah. He said, well, he said this. And I said, well, you know that's not true. So, uh, that ended that whole scenario, but we were looking at something that was going to bankrupt the company, basically. Wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty intense. Yeah. So, uh, besides the the networking, what other advice would you give? Because a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs, like they want to become an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what what's the single piece of advice you wish your younger self would have given given you before you started your first business? Well, you know, I think the first business I did, my younger self would have said to me, "Just do it." Because I've gotten a little conservative now that I'm older. But when I was younger, I was on fire. I was going to turn the year around, the Mm -hmm. earth around. And, you know, there's nothing to fear but fear itself because fear is a liar. Yep. And uh, that's what my younger self would have said to me. Just do it. So if there's anybody out there thinking about doing a business, just do it. Because there's nothing... The only failure is failing to follow what you want to do. That's the true failure, failure, you know, and just do it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Where can people find you? Well, you can find me at uh, on the Internet at uh, ST Legends Apparel. We're currently going to be putting some of our new shirt designs up there, and 50% of all the sales off of that website will go into a donor advisory fund to help homeless veterans. Or you can email me at burly1, B-U-R-L-Y-1, at gmail.com. Or you can call me at 503-510-9532. I love it. We've been talking to Gerald Pygott uh, from PSC Marketing Group. Thank you for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, you've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network, the network that brings inspiration and education to startups and entrepreneurs around the globe. Tune in again next week and every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Listen, learn, and get shit done. See you guys next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.